you're looking at a sheriff that was probably $350,000, $400,000 in debt. That I had my house mortgaged. I'd borrowed all the money I could borrow and uh, didn't know what I was going to do. Now that I've turned it around and are making money off of it, you know, everybody wants to make a big deal out of it. No one expects inmates to get great food while in prison. Most institutional food isn't that great. Hospitals, school cafeterias, shopping mall food courts all have mediocre offerings. But sheriffs in Alabama have a metallic taste in their chow. It's the taste of taxpayer money that will soon enter their pockets. A law written in 1939 put Alabama's sheriffs in charge of jail meals and gave them a stipend to pay for them. But if the sheriffs could get by with spending less than their stipend, the leftovers would go legally into their pocket to spend any way they want. Hey, what could go wrong? I'm Jim Grinstead, and today on Scams and Cons, we're going to talk about Alabama sheriffs and how they've exploited the law for more than 80 years, plus a few other tidbits about how sheriffs abuse their power. My understanding of paragraph 22 in the amended decree has always been, and I've been advised by numerous uh, folks legally, that that provision pertained only to Sheriff Bartlett in terms of his contempt finding and his punishment for the inadequate feeding of the prisoners at the jail. Um, so I understood that the consent decree of 2001 absolutely was part of my taking over as sheriff. Well, Morgan County Sheriff Anna Franklin, the judge didn't see it that way, but before we get to her, let's back up and find out what Sheriff Greg Bartlett was all about. While Greg Bartlett was his name, others had a nickname for him, Sheriff Corndog. He earned that title when it was learned that he and a sheriff from another county split up a load of corn dogs and fed them to their prisoners twice a day. Bartlett has acknowledged that he and another sheriff split the cost for an 18-wheeler full of corn dogs. For other meals, inmates got wafer-thin bologna sandwiches and cold grits. Those tricks earned the sheriff more than $200,000 over three years. In a contempt hearing, a federal judge ordered Sheriff Corndog to be held in his own jail until he came up with a plan to provide the 300 jail inmates with nutritionally adequate meals as required by a 2001 court order. This happened in 2009 and the stipend for feeding each prisoner was $1.75 per day. That included breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's not even the cost of a Happy Meal. By 2020, that had increased to $2.25 a day. To keep from starving, prisoners who could afford it would buy food from the prison's general store 
where they often spent $20 a week or more for additional food. Bartlett said profits from the prison's general store were used for training and equipment. Now gone from office, Bartlett's LinkedIn page says he has worked for Combined Public Communications for four years and is Senior Vice President of Sales. On its webpage, the company says, and I quote, Since 2000, CPC has partnered with corrections professionals to provide inmate communication technologies that are reliable and cost-effective. These systems allow inmates to buy telephone time by the minute and for others to contribute to the prisoner's account. We'll talk more about prison telephone privileges later. Bartlett lost a re-election bid to Anna Franklin, who promised reforms. I haven't forgotten about her, but I want to tell you another story first. The star of this show is Etowah County Sheriff Todd Intrigan, who put Sheriff Corndog to shame. You're looking at a sheriff that was probably $350,000 in debt. That I had my house mortgaged, I'd borrowed all the money I could borrow, and uh, didn't know what I was going to do. Now that I've turned it around and are making money off of it, you know, everybody wants to make a big deal out of it. Intrican was responsible for serving three meals a day to nearly a thousand inmates in 2018. Before you break down weeping for this man, you should know that he and his wife Karen purchased a four-bedroom house with an in-ground pool and canal access in an upscale section of Orange Beach, Alabama for $740,000. Orange Beach is a resort community along Alabama's Gulf Coast. Estimates say he's taken in more than $250,000 a year from his decision to run the food program like a business. It's difficult to know exactly how much, as he was only required to disclose funds up to $250,000. If it's more than that, no public disclosure was needed. Honestly, that's my personal business, my personal records. I report what the law requires me to, and, I, you know, and I've been open and honest with it. I've reported it. ALCOM quoted public records showing Intrican got a $592,000 mortgage from People's Bank of Alabama. The home is one of several properties with a total assessed value of more than $1.7 million that the couple loaned together or separately in Etowah and Baldwin counties. The amounts vary across Alabama, but the average salary for a sheriff is into five figures. After an election, Rainbow City Police Chief Jonathan Horton took over the sheriff's office. The Alabama political reporter noted that his criminal past would generally have disqualified him from being a police officer in Rainbow City much less county sheriff. The reporter said Horton has a history of domestic violence against his former wife and a conviction for third-degree assault involving an accident in which he was driving a county vehicle while under the influence of alcohol. During the campaign, AL.com noted that Intrican's campaign received a contribution of $5,000 from Network Communications International Corporation. In 2016, Etowah County awarded the Texas company a contract to provide inmate telephone services. Intrican's LinkedIn page offers no information about his current status. Now it's time to talk about Anna Franklin. Well, it's about time. You'll remember she's the person who replaced Sheriff Greg Bartlett in Morgan County. She had her own run-in with prison funds in 2017. Franklin thought the court's order applied only to Bartlett, 
and not to her. To Franklin, there'd been a reset. One of the things that I would like to, to make known is that in the same time frame that Sheriff Bartlett was deemed to be held in contempt of court for the inadequate feeding of the inmates based on the money provision, was that he, uh, he earned over $98,000 that year off of the feeding of the inmates. In that same year that I removed the money to do an investment, it was to recoup money that I had lost during the feeding of the inmates that year. So what do you do if you're a hard-working public servant and want to recoup some of the money that's been redirected? The answer is obvious. You invest $150,000 in a failing car dealership that, according to the Decatur Daily, went bankrupt. And the interest that was supposed to be earned on that was to recoup some of the losses and be placed back into the food account. It's also important to note that the food account that, they, that everyone keeps talking about is by state law in, in my name personally, and that I'm personally responsible for the feeding of the inmates and the management of the kitchen and being able to utilize the funds that the state gives me to feed the inmates in an uh, adequate, uh, adequate way. I believe that the next step, we are looking forward to the opportunity to show both the judge and the public that we have never violated the consent decree or any terms of the consent decree that I knew that was to me and that in each and everything that we have done in that jail is to make that jail exemplary and that it's to be a humane place for the inmates to be held and also that the feeding of the inmates, the medical care of the inmates and those things that were initially brought up against the county commission and the uh, sheriffs back then prior to me taking office have not only been corrected but we have done our very best to provide additional services and additional quality of care at, at the jail. After his retirement, the judge in the Bartlett case said the order applied to all future sheriffs and not just to a single individual. Franklin got her day in court and was put on two years probation. WHNT said she was also to perform 300 hours of community service and repay any taxes she owes, along with filing amended tax returns for 2014, 15, and 16. Franklin pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor. The charge stemmed from money she earned in 2015, but failed to report on her taxes in 2016. But help was on the way. In 2018, Governor Kay Ivey issued a statement that read, Effective immediately, I'm directing that payments under Section 14643 of the Code of Alabama relating to the feeding of prisoners in county jails no longer be made to sheriffs personally. Instead, all such funds should be directed to the county general fund or to an account established for the sheriff's official use, whichever is appropriate for the county at issue, under local laws and local ordinances consistent with state law. In 2019, the state legislature stepped up to the plate and approved a bill supported by the state's sheriff's association to alter the previous law. The bill boosted the stipend sheriffs received per inmate to $2.25 a day, but excluded a house provision that the amount be increased by 2% per year. AL.com says the bill directs at least 75% of the money left in the prisoner feeding fund at the end of the year to be carried over in the fund for the next year. Sheriffs could spend up to 25% of the unencumbered balance at the end of the year for law enforcement purposes. 
Once again, I ask, what could go wrong? But it's not always the sheriffs under the microscope. In 2015, Heather Catallo at WXYZ in Detroit reported on overbilling by food contractors. She said estimates are that Wayne County could have been overbilled by 6 to $10 million. Back in 2010, Wayne County Executive Robert Ficano and Sheriff's Department Director Sue Hall recommended that canteen correctional services be chosen to provide meals to inmates and to some jail staff members. Canteen Correctional Services is a division of Continental Distributors. The Wayne County Commission approved their five-year contract, which totals more than $26 million. But the seven investigators have learned that allegations of suspicious overcharges are now part of a massive audit. Sources tell as Continental is being scrutinized for billing the county for more meals than there are inmates inside the various lockups. Catallo continued. After Continental landed the lucrative jail contract, President and CEO James Barty, along with two other top executives, have all given generously to both Sheriff Benny Napoleon's campaign as well as to Ficano. Since 2011, the Continental executives contributed more than $13,000 to Napoleon and $5,000 to the county executive. Both sheriff's officials and a spokesman for Continental adamantly deny that there are millions in overcharges, and both tell us the county county supplies the numbers for the meals that are required in the jails each day. Prisoners, by definition, are a captive audience, and county and state governments often turn over duties such as food service and telephone services to private firms, hoping to save on costs. Writing in the New York Times in late 2022, Patrick Irving wrote, and I quote, The commissary is sort of like your local corner store. Among its offerings are staples like food, clothing, and hygiene products that, for us inside, can make the difference between a clean head of hair and a rinsed head of hair. A bad meal and a terrible meal. A cold night and a freezing night. End quote. Irving is an inmate at an Idaho prison. He's a contributor to the Prison Journalism Project, and his work has appeared in the Idaho Law Review, The Harbinger, and solitarywatch.org. He says the commissary is, quote, run by a private company called the Keefe Group, which has an exclusive contract with the Idaho Department of Correction. Keefe is a subsidiary of TKC Holding Company, indirectly controlled by HIG Capital, a private equity firm. The company's captive clients are limited to shopping once a week from a roster that's subject to the whims of the company and the economy. End quote. Based on records he received from a Freedom of Information request, he found that Keefe rewards the Idaho Department of Correction with a revenue-sharing arrangement that guarantees a yearly minimum of $1.25 million, plus 40% of the gross, beyond an annual-based sales target. For the company, profits increase through cost-cutting or boosting prices because it can't control the size of its market. Prisoners can earn money working at the prison, but the waiting list is long, and the pay is about 40 cents an hour. Prisoners who want to make phone calls or send email find private firms are happy to fulfill those needs. Here's former FCC Commissioner Mignett Clyburn in 2016 on C-SPAN. Well, what we have seen as rates, we have heard about rates as high as $14 a minute. Um, that is unusual, but we are on record that has happened. On average, you had about a dollar or so per minute, and families were paying 
hundreds of dollars a year uh, to speak to uh, their loved ones. What we're going to see now is 10, 12, depending on the size of the institution, cents per minute. And uh, it's going to make a tremendous difference in the lives of families in terms of affordability. You know, a call might, that might have cost 15 or $17 will be down to 3 or $4, and that's going to make a tremendous difference for those families. Clyburn says the high raise prevents families from staying in touch and that once released, they go home to families who don't know them. Highest figure that I have seen in terms of people who keep regular contact with those loved ones in prison is 38%. That means the bulk of those individuals do not stay in touch. So when 700,000 of them are released each and every year, that is the numbers of inmates that go back home, they 60 plus percent of them go home as strangers, and most of them, as I just mentioned, are back within uh, five years. We've got to really look at the causes of that. And I think one of the primary causes, again, is people go home as strangers because they haven't kept in touch for the life of the sentence or the length of the sentence. And we can do something about this. Prisoners are being scammed on the food they eat, on commissary prices, and the cost of telephone calls to their families and lawyers. What's next? Well, some sheriffs want inmates to pay for the cost of room and board. Among them is Joe Arpaio of Maricopa County, Arizona, where he once served as sheriff. Arpaio said in 2014 he wanted inmates to pay a dollar a day for food. Christopher Sign of ABC 15 talked with Arpaio. Everybody else has to pay for food. Why should they get freebies? Each day, the roughly 8,300 inmates receive two meals, one that covers breakfast and lunch, the other dinner. You have to be a little innovative in these budget problems. Sheriff Joe Arpaio says meals used to cost 60 cents a day. It's gone up as the jail now purchases more food. Food banks are hurting too. They're not getting the donations. Uh, we are not getting the donations. The sheriff tells me he plans to implement the charge next month in the jails and tents. MCSO has the third largest jail system in the country and appears to be the first to make this sort of move. So I asked how he plans to collect the buck. When they're coming to jail and they have money, that's going to be the first priority. Then as money is placed in the inmates' accounts to purchase items in the jail, that would be subjected to the dollar-a-day fee. We're going to make sure that we use that money first uh, before they go to canteen to buy some chocolate bars. And for those who don't have the cash? Those that don't have the money? Come on, we're still going to feed them. And in Johnson City, Tennessee... County commissioners believe inmates should pay up to $1,000 a month for their room and board. Sheriff Jeff Cassidy is against the idea. I understand the concept. These individuals should pay for, you know, the food, the, the shelter, the, you know, the incarceration fees. But uh, whether it be successful or not, I really just don't think so. It sort of sets an inmate up for failure. You know, about... Uh, most of, most of the inmates that go, get incarcerated, they already live in poverty. Is this going to hinder the inmates' families? You know, are they going to be the one that actually has to pay these bills? So that's something else that you have to look at. Plus, Cassidy thinks charging inmates for their stay could result in higher recidivism that leads them right back to jail. Is that going to be a, a contempt of court or uh, another arrest warrant where it just bogs up our system all over again? Let's see what we can do to set these individuals up for success, get them a job. Uh, get them back to their families where they're taxpaying citizens and where they don't repeat this cycle and just come right back through our system. That's John Jinko of News Channel 11.
As of this recording, county commissioners have delayed action on the measure. So here's how it breaks down. Inmates are getting screwed by everyone. And the people doing the screwing hope to scam the inmates' families into feeding money into accounts that can only go into the company's pockets. Those families are usually poor, so inmates end up getting skimpy meals and thin blankets. Taxpayers get screwed by the same companies through overbilling and other activities. Public officials are also raking in money through their abuse of inmates. Public officials can fix these problems, and it shouldn't take 20 years to do it. They should be held accountable. If you enjoy the podcast and want to support it, please consider doing so via Patreon. For just $10 a month, you'll help us keep the lights on so we can continue to create great content for you. You can sign up at patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, then search for Scams and Cons. There'll be a link in the show notes. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Our lives were never the same after we learned our 21-year-old daughter, Kristen, was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. It's a parent's worst nightmare. How much did we really know about domestic violence back then? Clearly not enough. Now we know plenty. We know domestic violence, or DV, can happen to anyone. One in three women suffer physical violence at the hands of intimate partners during their lifetimes. One in three. I'm Bill Mitchell, host of the When Dating Hurts podcast. And my interviews with DV counselors, law enforcement, and especially actual DV survivors give the pandemic of domestic violence the attention it deserves. The When Dating Hurts podcast. It's a series of lives being saved.